Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. I'm Emma Gannon and this is the podcast that talks to lots of creative, brilliant people about their work online and offline. I'm so excited that today's guest is June Eric Aduri. She is an 18-year-old writer and campaigner. She's been published everywhere from The Telegraph to The Guardian to The Pool and lots of others, including being a regular blogger for New Statesman. She was recently nominated for the Smart Women of the Year Award by Red Magazine, and she's the Young Press Officer for Integrate Bristol, a charity that works towards equality and integration. She recently got 50,000 signatures on a petition that actually made feminism part of the A-level politics curriculum for high school students. She's recently also earned a place on Penguin Random House's UK entry-level programme called The Scheme, which is designed to find the most amazing, creative and exciting talent to be the editors of Tomorrow. So I'm so excited to have gone to June's house and hung out and talked to her for the podcast and I hope you enjoy this episode. We talk about everything from creative writing to campaigning to Twitter activism and also our mutual love for Shonda Rhimes. So I hope you enjoy listening to this episode and here it is. I'm here with June. And I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so um, you're 18 now. Yeah, 18. Which is still very young for all of the things that you've been doing. So you've written for The New Statesman, Cosmo, Guardian, The Telegraph. You've been nominated for the Smart Woman of the Year Award by Red Magazine. And you were doing a lot of this while you were at school. Yeah. How did it fit in? Um, I think it was... It was always really hard, if I'm completely honest, because most times when I talk to people, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's it's completely fine. I just sort of, like, juggle schoolwork and obviously extracurriculars in school. And I was also doing, on top of that, a lot of work on FGM and child marriage, so working with the UK government on, like, campaigns and charities. So it was, it was a lot. Mm. And I think um, that's why last year I took a, a break from doing everything, because it just became impossible to have it all on my plate I worked non-stop so I never really had I guess that's the sacrifice I had to make because I loved I love to write I've always loved to write um and I sort of started blogging on girls rights in 2014 in early 2014 and then I started before I really knew what was happening in December of 2014 I'd done a piece for the Guardian and it all sort of took off really quickly so it was just getting up. I'm an early riser, get up at yeah. five. So before like schools even started, I'd normally have like thought of things to write, pitched it, schedule it on my email so it goes out at like a sensible time, not at like 5.30 in the morning. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, school was always first because that was always the most important thing for me. Because when I first started, I was very, very clear. I wanted to go to university when I was 18. There, was, there wasn't going to be any gap. And it's really interesting now that I might know there's going to be a gap between school and university. Yeah. So, so the gap um, is so exciting because you're going to be doing the trainee yeah, so I'm doing a traineeship with Penguin, so they're doing a scheme where they started in 2015 and it's about creating editors for tomorrow. So I'm doing that first um, and then hopefully going to go to American University next year. That's so exciting. Will you be with the, the scheme and um, kind of learning all of the tools it's going to take to like become one of potentially an editor? Is that non-fiction and fiction? Yeah, so it's non-fiction and fiction. We basically have to pick three divisions in Penguin that we'd like to work for. 
we spend six months in two different divisions. So I think I put down like probably children's cornerstone and vintage. I really can't even remember now. Um, and cool. God, there's so many. There's so many there, out there. Yeah, there's like trans world. <laughs> but, and then obviously within the divisions, you have all the imprints. So yeah, once you get into it, publishing is really and it's it, it, it's quite complex. Yeah. So yeah, I think I'd like I like to work in publishing. I think I love writing, but I also like I don't. At first, when I started writing online, I originally thought that like. I would go on to be a journalist and that would be sort of the thing I did but I think from like the bits of work experience I did in like newsrooms and everything I just realized it really wasn't for me so I guess that's one of the benefits from yeah. starting out super early because I was really fixed on becoming a journalist and like writing loads of stories and doing loads of reporting whereas like now I'm like I'm not really interested in the things I used to write about a year and a half ago. I used to write about a lot about politics and what's it, you know, what 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 it's like being a young person interest, interested in politics and like policy. And now I'm very much interested. And I guess that's to do with me growing up a bit and being exposed to new voices, a lot to do mm. more with like race and gender and social issues. And so when I write, I don't just write because I can't be the sort of writer that just has to write because, you know, it's their job, you just have to produce a piece and that's it. I have to write about the things I care mm. about. So, and also working to bring out stories that people often ignore or yeah. like are put to the side. And I think that's something I've really grown to, really grown to want to do. So I still want to write, but I don't want it to be a thing that I, I grew out of love with yeah. because I'm oh. having to do it every single day. Like your piece for Rookie, for example, I loved. And that's a totally different type of writing, I felt. It was just very creative. Yeah, I'm starting... So now all the writing I'm doing at the moment is... So like, I've always wanted to to write essays. And I think for me, it what personal essays do, if you want to call them personal essays or just reported features, it sort of worked really well to, like, borrow the skills I have from fiction and apply them to non-fiction. And because I don't do a lot of fiction in like write a lot of my fiction put out there, I'm just not that confident yet. Just keep my keep my stories to myself at the moment. But like with essays, I feel that I can still write quite lyrically and still really pick one small thing and really explore it. Whereas I feel like with a lot of like quick opinion pieces and that's like the culture we live in, you know, something's happened, let's just mm-hmm. churn out something in the next like three hours. I'm like, I don't really want to do those sorts of pieces anymore. I did, I recently did a piece on, for Fusion, on seeing Thompson's show Sold, and I really liked the process of doing that, like, going to see it, the show, and, like, talking to people who had seen it, meeting kids who had seen it and seen it from their perspective, mm. interviewing Selena, reading other people's um, reviews of the show, and then using all of that body of work to then you know write my own piece I really liked doing that and that's yeah, probably what... it sounds like it takes a longer time like it you did. say than yeah. just kind of jumping on a trending hashtag or something yeah it definitely mm. took like six weeks altogether to you know do everything that needs to be done and then you know submit the piece yeah. but do you yeah. like that feeling of being really proud of something when you've when it's taken a while to kind of um, craft yeah I think generally there doesn't always need to be a rush to get things out because if what you've written is good people will still be interested um for instance like when lemonade came out everyone wanted you know 
to write about it naturally it's fiance (laughs) (laughs) and I just think like the essays I enjoyed the most were the ones that didn't come out immediately so I wrote one that came out pretty immediately like Lemonade was out well I watched it on Saturday night at 2am in the morning (laughs) FaceTime my friend in Virginia I was like Imani put this on and we like facetimed and watched it together Aww. and i like wrote a piece on sunday morning instead of revising for my exams like no exams can wait this is more important and i did a piece for the pool but then i did my rookie piece which didn't come out for like another about two weeks after and it was fine yeah. people still read it it was still as valid and i think it's important that you like writers don't feel rushed to just mm. produce something because then I love that I really love that because I felt like when I was um writing my book for example I was getting really stressed that it was like taking so long and like would it still be relevant when it came out and all these silly things but when you think about it you need to take time on some things yeah yeah some pieces and you can really tell when you know pieces time has been spent on them yeah one thing I love about you um on social media for example though is you you do um get really inspired by other people and you do celebrate other people you have a lot of very positive influences that you use i think we both have that in common and we just get really excited who are your biggest influences would you say so definitely ashley forward yeah even though she doesn't know i exist she does <laughs> i don't think she does whenever she replies i've to, seen like, you tweeting each other whenever she replies to, like my one tweet i'm like oh my god she acknowledged that i exist today <laughs> um yeah that sounds really creepy um <laughs> no she is amazing i get it um yeah i love i love especially black women writers mm-hmm. because i think it's through reading because obviously I read a lot of literature I love I love books that's always the thing I'd always prefer to read I mean than to write any day and I think I'm definitely not a writer who just writes because you know how there's some people who just write because they could just like write and if no one read it it'd be fine Mm -hmm. I'm just not one of those yeah I feel like I write because I need to communicate with people and that's the best way I know how Mm -hmm. so yeah I feel like when I read the work of black women writing online or writing books I'm really inspired to like Ashley Ford um Hannah who works at BuzzFeed Jasmine Hughes in the New York Times um Doreen St. Felix who writes amazing pieces as well and my fave Bim Adwami but she moved to America yeah she used to be at BuzzFeed in the UK but now she's at BuzzFeed in the US I think that's probably that's probably a thing about the UK that like saddens me the most. I think my friend was saying to me the other day, if you could have like black women writers speak at a thing or like black women, who would you pick? And I was like, all my faves are in the US. Mm. And it seems to be quite, the UK scene is very, very white, very white. Um, there was like a study that's, I can't remember exactly, but like in the high 90s, journalism is like white. So between like 90 and 95%, I can't remember the exact figure. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of white people writing stories. Like, ugh, like I think it was like journalism in the UK is like 0.4% black. Um, and I think that's the problem, that's the thing I've come up the most against. That's the problem I found that often when I ro- want to write about race, just editors, want to whitewash the things I've said or like erase certain things that are important I feel like I have to fight for my whole self to be included in the things I write sometimes Mm. because they want to take out bits that they feel might be you know problematic like I wrote a piece for The Guardian recently about 
the Man Booker long list, which was, you know, very, very white. Yeah, I read that, yeah. And I said at the end, which was included in the final piece, I said, oh, you know, we can't silence writers of colour in the UK because this list had three writers of colour that were all based in the US. And the editor took it out. And then he was like, oh, I can't include that line. And I was like, what do you mean you can't include the line? That I'm not happy with the piece. And it it already gone up and then he included it after. But that's just like a, one example of like the constant like fight to not let people take out the most, imp- the things that you feel are the most important parts of the statements that you think need to get that. Absolutely. Because yeah. it's like, well, then you're being censored with something that you're saying that's like the whole point yeah the whole point of the piece (laughs) is to talk about the fact that like people of color writers aren't being recognized and aren't having their voices heard and you're taking out the line about them being silenced so what exactly are you trying to Mm. achieve here i saw your tweet uh was it today even about how um we shouldn't carry on having these like panels on diversity because it's it's just um you need more action than just like chatting on a panel. Yeah, I saw a tweet by the bookseller where they said, you know, publishers association and someone, some book fair are going to hold a panel on diversity and inclusion in publishing. And I was just like, everyone knows publishing is white. This has been a fact for centuries. Why are we still discussing this? Like, I'm so tired of talking about, oh, why we need to include writers. And I really hate the word diversity now because would like it it just signifies that like you know people that are not white are other and somehow we have to like make them feel that it's a privilege to have their voices heard and it's not like that's that's not what it's about and i feel like we waste so much time talking about the need to include marginalized writers of color rather than just going out and hiring people and creating schemes and like looking at the back you know the boundaries that exist like Everyone knows it's a problem, we just need to fix it. There's no point sitting down to talk about a problem that we already know exists. Mm. And it's a waste of money and time and like energy. And you know, only giving people of colour spaces to talk about diversity, again, that's another issue. You only want to bring on writers of colour to talk about the fact, you know, the problems with not having writers of colour represented. Do you feel as well that like sometimes, um, do you ever get pigeonholed with like, oh, June can write about this particular thing. Yeah, I feel like it's interesting because my mentor said this to me. She was like, don't don't let them box you in as like, you know, race girl or like, you know, feminism girl. And I think especially with like, you know, if especially I find that editors don't necessarily, well in the UK, don't necessarily want to have, you know, black women on their staff. But when there's an issue, we can just reach out and just get a freelancer and it's fine because that's a way for you know a freelancer to get her voice heard and to get her writing out and that might lead to more opportunities for her but you really should just have you know a more diverse you know your your staff list should be more diverse than what it is absolutely I mean, it should be like from the from the very beginning like yeah the core team and it's not just writers it's editors as well mm. but it's I, like advertising and it's like any company yeah any company and also i feel like especially with like writing it's like you don't just need to have staff writers that are people of color you need to have editors that are like people of color if not we're just going to have a white person reading a black person's work which is fine but you know you can run into issues with that i mean i find teenagers these days like absolutely incredible i remember when i interviewed like rowan for the podcast and was like and i feel the same about you like you're so clued up on on stuff that i wasn't when i was your age um 
and all of the like activism and campaigning that you do, what sort of things, like how do you make change in your mind? With me, if I see something that I don't like, it's in like a Maya Angelou quote that if you, know, if you see something you don't like, if you, if you don't want to complain, just like change it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if I see something that I see to be a problem and I feel able to, I'll say something Mm -hmm. and I think it doesn't I think it's quite hard because you feel like oh the changes you have to make are like you know huge changes and I've definitely had like moments where I did like the campaign on you know keeping women on the curriculum for politics when the government were going to completely remove women altogether that was like a really big campaign I launched but I sort of fell into that because I was just like, oh, I'll see what happens if I start a petition. Mm. But I think sometimes just being able to acknowledge that something isn't right can be a first step. You know, with things like the Black Lives Matter movement, for instance, like it's really, it's a collective network of voices continuously saying there's a problem here. And if you didn't have that many people just saying that Black Lives Matter, even if they're not all on the streets or they're not all, you know, working in groups and, like, protesting Mm. and all that. Just being able to, like, acknowledge that this is a problem, like, for the people who are out there marching, doing legislation, working with, like, policymakers and those who have power, it's nice knowing that they have, you know, one million, two million, millions of people behind them supporting them. Yeah. So I feel like change, making it is hard, but it always starts with you being brave enough to just acknowledge that something's wrong or to just say something because you might say something you might not actually go on to do something else but another person might notice that you said something and they might say something too and then another person might notice and they might choose to act on that yeah but if everyone's just silent and complacent then we'll never actually get anywhere yeah. in society yeah no it's so true because um that's one thing is like people think they're helpless yeah but everyone has a voice and everyone has an internet connection and i like to think that camp even campaigns that are like hashtags are doing something yeah yeah i mean for instance when um dire was arrested in baton rouge um you had loads of people online you know talking about calling the police department and like asking that he's released and things like that that's something that happened because people have got behind the hashtag and they're now taking it offline i think it's really silly when people are like oh no you know it's just hashtag activism it doesn't mean anything because it it does because you know people start campaigns online but most of them will take it offline and that's Mm. where the real change happens yeah but it's always nice having that support base that you can always go back to yeah and also like the tool the internet can actually make things happen in real life obviously because with like the help refugees account i found that was really interesting when they made like an amazon wish list Mm -hmm. and you could buy things for this wish list yeah and then that that those physical products would actually get shipped to them it was like yes it's a hashtag but it was physically happening in real life what would i know that you're only 18 now but if a younger version of you was going to ask you for advice what would your advice be if they wanted to get into writing online in this way? Honestly, don't do it when you're so young. It's really sad, but I think <laughs> that I'd be like, no, don't start immediately. But I think that's, that's the truth. Because 
it's definitely made me a lot more anxious. It's caused a lot of problems for me. First of all, I started writing very young and my parents are very sort of like traditional girls. You know, my mom would say things like, who wrote, who's going to marry you? So I had, there was a lot more that was coming up against than people actually realized. Just by deciding to write a piece, I was like defying every single, I was defying what my parents thought I would be and what especially my mom wanted me to be. And it was like a massive, well, I mean, we already had problems, but like it just made things a lot worse. So I think, I don't, I think the thing I'd want to say is that probably be ready for the fact that if you're, especially if you're like me, if you're like a young black woman writing, that's like immediately a thing that people don't want you to do. And people are going to make sure that they can do what they can to break you and to make sure that you don't say anything. Um, and that, that's probably what I think is great about like black womanhood is that even when they come up against so much like struggle or like come up against so much like resistance to being heard, they still somehow manage to conquer all of that. Um, I think it's sad because I grew up expecting to be superhuman. And I think when we look at like the case with Philando Castile when he was shot and how his like four-year-old daughter had to like console the mother and be like, I'm here. That's really quite traumatic that like a child be like robbed of that. That's like a little black girl. And I wrote a piece about this and I was like, she's just kind of being thrust into the reality of her life quite early, which is that like, you're expected to be superhuman, expected to like deal with everything and there are problems with the stereotype that like oh black women are like so strong and everything but I do think there is like an innate strength that we do have because if you look over history everything has been built on our like backs like whole countries and like movements have been built on our work and we don't even get recognized or like acknowledged or like with like Hillary Clinton obviously massive you know first woman to win like a major political party is like nomination whatever but like it's interesting how like Shirley Chisholm has been like completely has been like erased and her name hasn't been said and when she was running in 1972 she had to like sue to be allowed to like talk and participate in the like television debates and like she had assassination attempts and like yes 1972 is so far away but like she was one of the women who started that and it's like behind every movement mm -hmm. you really have to look back and you'll always find black women on the sidelines who've like worked i mean in 1992 in america is called the year of the woman when women were running for office what preceded that was 1991 and the anita hill case and with like clarence thomas and it was the way that she was treated that probably you know got a lot of women thinking about getting into politics yeah well I think you are fantastic and I think that you have created so much amazing work that everyone's just been really inspired by and I'm so excited to see like your future essays and just everything that you're continuing to do and learn so obviously your career 
is so impressive so soon in your life what do you do to just switch off and be like a normal 18 year old girl okay I wouldn't first of all when people say that I have a career I'm like no it's interesting though because I was on like a lunch date with an editor and she was like your career is really interesting and I was like I don't have a career she's like but you kind of do I was like no 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 I resist this but um what do I do I started getting into TV. It's so great because I didn't used to watch any TV. So like there are so many shows I haven't even like watched. And the other day I told my friend, I was like, I'm really worried I'm not gonna be able to like watch all the shows I need to catch up on because I just haven't watched TV for so long because I've always been writing and working and campaigning and going to meetings and doing, you know, whatever else. But currently Scandal is my fave. I want to start Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. I've just finished How to Get Away with Murder. There are just so many TV shows I need to watch. And I also love. Shonda Rhimes. Yes, Shonda like, Rhimes oh my God. is like my fave. Yeah, like, Shonda, absolutely. Shonda, if you know me, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, Shonda, please listen. <laughs> please come on Elvis podcast. Yeah, I love Shonda rhymes greatly and my friend Kat got me her audiobook as like a present when I was really really low year of yes and that was really good that's when I got into audiobooks so now I listen to a lot of audiobooks I read did I hear that you were gonna do the year of yes yourself I am doing it I'm really not liking it (laughs) I am I actually am and I've had to say yes to everything that I'm asked to do and it's really interesting because even though I was always doing a lot I was only saying yes to things I wanted to do there are loads of things people ask me to do I was like nope because <laughs> I don't want to I don't like I don't like being I live in my head I write I'm always sort of like in my head and thinking and you know going out and talking to those people I'm a massive introvert after like loads of small talk I need to I need days off to like recuperate and come back again Mm. but yeah so now I'm doing a lot more things that I wouldn't normally say yes to which is quite good but yeah other things I like podcasts a lot um I like cooking I just like like singing yeah I like singing a lot I also like just chatting to my friends which is like something I didn't have a lot of time to do because I was always having to work does it help that some friends aren't in that world of yeah. like Twitter journalism? Yeah, it helps that like, but it's interesting because I have friends who are a lot older than me and I have friends who are my age. And I have friends who are my age who aren't in all of this, who are just normal 18 year olds, you know, gone on, they go on holiday, they get drunk and they like, they're coming back and they're gonna go to uni. But I also have a really good friend in the US who is just as an overachiever as I am like so it's always really weird talking to her because we'll be talking about things and I'll be like oh Michelle Obama's done this and she's like when I met Michelle Obama <laughs> so it's, <laughs> you're just like okay so how many people have you met you've met Maya Angelou you've met this person you've met this so sometimes having she isn't in like writing but she does a lot mm-hmm. of other stuff but is still doing quite a lot for a Harry. So as she well. keeps keep you on your toes. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like we keep each other. So it's not like we're in competition of each other because we're in completely different. You yeah. know, I write and she she doesn't. She's very much. I want to go into like politics and, or like not necessarily go into politics, but like development and like things like that, global health and all sort of things. Mm. But it's interesting how sometimes she makes me not feel like I'm crazy because when I look at like other people 
like other 18 year olds I sometimes get quite jealous that they're just able to get up at 11 and like not do anything or not have to think about anything whereas I'm like I have this meeting and this thing to record and this film to be filmed in and I need to write this piece I need to get back to this editor and it's just like all these things I have to do and I'll message her and she'll be like oh I have to write a speech I'm going to like some conference in DC and I have to pack and and I'm like okay so I'm not completely alone there are other people who are a bit like me yeah who, who started out quite early in that so I feel like mm. it works for us that's good it yeah. must feel good to have a balance and and I feel like we have friends for different reasons as well yeah so like you might go to her on a day where you need that reassurance yeah but then if you don't want to think about it you can hang with them yeah if I don't want to think about the fact that I have like deadlines then I wouldn't you know go to her because she'll I just want to talk to someone who isn't in this crazy constant like because it's constant you know the news feed and like everything and sometimes you just want to be able to like switch off yeah I mean my favorite thing to do is napping Mm, I love I love naps yeah I nap every Sunday religiously I don't even care what I need to do two o'clock and that's it I'm out in my bed I love that yeah um, apparently it's only a nap if you don't get in like properly into bed nah what is that <laughs> like it's people who are like flossing doesn't help shut up the other day they're like cockroach milk as a new thing I'm oh like, I saw that yeah I'm like no okay let me nap how I want to nap like tell me that like oh to nap you have to I mean I had a friend who was like it's only a nap if it's like well there was an, an app that she said it was like a power nap it was like 29 minutes long oh yeah like, apparently that's meant to be like the ultimate nap time yeah but you know my naps are like I like to think I'm like an Olympic napper like if I was an Olympics for napping I think that would run up my street yeah stop being good at everything (laughs) if you liked this episode please remember to leave a review or a rating on iTunes it would mean so much to me also um, tweet me at girllostincity on Twitter I'd love to hear your feedback So thanks so much again for listening and make sure you tune in next week.